Gangary the Podcast is made possible by the Ashland University Journalism and Digital Media Department. As Ohio's only converged media program, Ashland JDM is training tomorrow's journalists and media creators for media careers in the 21st century. For more information, visit Ashland University's Journalism and Digital Media Department online at ashland.edu slash JDM. Or head to the JDM blog at ashlandmedia.blogspot.com. Welcome to Gangry the Podcast. I'm Matt Tallis. This week on the podcast, I talk with Flinder Boyd. Boyd is a former professional basketball player who now writes long-form journalism. He holds degrees from Dartmouth College and the University of London, Queen Mary. For 10 years, he played as a point guard in the lower and upper levels of many professional European basketball leagues. Now he's writing, often about basketball. His story, 20 Minutes at Rucker Park, profiles a young man's cross-country journey on a Greyhound bus to New York City's streetball mecca. That story was published on SB Nation Longform. It was subsequently a long-form selection and named by Long Reads a Top 5 Long Read of the Week. It was also a Neiman Storyboard recommended reading selection and earned Boyd's Long Reads Favorite New Writer Discovery in 2013. Finally, Sports on Earth called the story a Top 20 Sports Story in 2013. Boyd has written for SB Nation Longform, The Classical, Sports on Earth, and BBC Online, among others. He also blogs at IWishIWasALittleBitTaller.org. As usual, we've linked to many of Boyd's stories on our website. That's at www.gangrythepodcast.com. Flinder Boyd, thanks for joining Gangry the Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, let's talk about the Rucker Park story first. Can you tell us about T.J. Webster Jr.'s uh, journey and how you ended up following him across the country? Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. I mean, he's such an interesting guy to begin with. But I, I had a friend in um, L.A. who just told me about this kid in Sacramento. She's a, a film producer. And she said, uh, you know, there's this interesting kid uh, – he claims he's the best in Sacramento. He's a street basketball player. I don't know much about him. He wants to go play in Rucker Park. She she knew somebody who was involved with Rucker Park. Um, she said, you know, I know you play basketball. Why don't you go up there and check him out and see if he's any good? And I didn't really have anything going on. So I said, sure, I'll go up there and see if he's any good, see if he can go make it in Rucker. So I went up there, uh, kind of spent a, a few days with him, tried to see what, what his deal was. And I mean, he had this huge dream of going to Rucker Park and becoming a, a basketball star and making the N1 tour, or the uh, there's another tour similar to N1. And, I mean, he had never played a game of high school basketball, never played an organized game in his life, and he just had this amazing dream and worked at Greyhound, so he got a free Greyhound ticket to go across country um, three days on a bus, which I took with him. And then to show up at Rucker Park, and of course the title, 20 Minutes at Rucker Park, he had 20 minutes to prove whether he could, he could do it or not. How, um, how concerned were you from a story standpoint when you finally saw him play basketball for the first time? Yeah, I mean, driving up there, uh, I went up there with a, with a buddy driving up there, and I thought, um, oh, cool, you know, it'll be a cool story. He's, he's probably this this you know undiscovered gem he's gonna go there and you know shock the world and what a great story this white kid who shows up at at rucker park in harlem and 
he's going to take him by storm. And then I went, as soon as I showed up, we went to the courts to watch him play. And he just said, hey, let's play one-on-one. So, I mean, he, he, I talked to him a little bit before. I told him I had played in Europe. So he, I said, I wasn't ready. So I said, uh, okay, let's play. And, you know, he was okay. He's athletic and he could jump and he had a few moves here and there. But he, everything was so mechanical. Like he, he, he just wasn't really a basketball player. And then he played five on five. And I just thought to myself, man, this isn't going to work. This kid, he, he can't play. He's not going to do it. There's no way. There's no way he's going to go to Rucker Park. I know the kind of players that play there and do well. You know, but who am I to tell him uh, maybe you should just stay in Sacramento? So, I mean, there was kind of there was a point where I was like, you know what? Maybe I should just go back to L.A. This isn't this isn't worth it at all. But I decided, you know, why not? Who who knows what can happen? When I was reading uh, your description of him playing um, five on five, and even when you were playing against him, it in the mechanical how everything was mechanical, it reminded me of watching my nine year old son play basketball. Um, exactly. When he's out on the court with his fourth grade teammates. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how he played. And I mean, I, just, I was describing to somebody if he he kind of, you know, run up to the ball like eight year olds when you watch eight year olds play and they all they all run towards the ball. They don't understand, you know, spacing or moving without the ball. It's like because he played so much just on his own, he would go get a ball and play on his own. So when he had the ball in his hands. He was pretty decent. He had some moves. He kind of mimicked a lot of his favorite players. He had a little Jordan turnaround jumper. He had his, you know, Rajon Rondo scooping layup. You know, he had mimicked all these players. You know, he was in great shape. He, he could throw the ball up, catch it, do a, you know, windmill dunk. But when he didn't have the ball, it was just, he was completely lost. Five on five, just, you know, if they had a one on one tournament there, you know, maybe he'd have a shot, but five on five, he he was completely clueless. How much did you know about the street ball uh, scene in New York going into the story? Um, being a basketball player, I imagine you had a, a pretty decent knowledge, but did how much? Not much. I mean, I knew where I played against some guys who, who had played there, so I knew they were good players. But I really, I d- didn't know a lot. I, you know, I kind of thought it would be more like the N one street tour where they were just doing tricks, which it wasn't really like that at all. I had read uh, Heaven, you know, uh, Heaven is a playground, so I knew what it was like in the seventies from that. But I really didn't know much at all. Um, I just knew kind of uh, the level of it. It just probably wasn't his level. Um, but I was actually really excited. I mean, that was one of my motivations to go see it. You know, I kind of always thought of it as a, the, the rawest form of basketball to really see it and see it in action and watch the, the kind of players that would be there and the, the athletes. And I mean, it was it was actually incredible. I spent the summer there and seeing some of the players and athletes playing at Rucker Park was incredible. Did did being a former uh, basketball player kind of help you with the story? Uh, yeah, in some ways it did. I mean, I kind of knew I had a, 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 a sense right away of, you know, how good he was and how he would do. And I don't know. I don't know if it really helped me that much being a former player. Um, I mean, just him, I kind of related to because he kind of grew up in like the hip hop culture and playing basketball. And I, you know, I, I grew up like that as well. So I kind of related to him 
uh, and kind of understood a little bit where he was coming from, which I think helped me with the story rather than just, you know, some some guy who, who didn't know anything about that culture at all. When you when you when you visited him at at his house, um, the descriptions are really kind of bleak and and sad in many ways. Uh, where he, you know how he was living and, and where he was growing up. Did he ever express concerns about kind of what you were going to share about his life as you were kind of following him along? Uh, he yeah, he didn't really want us to go to his house initially. Um, uh, I kind of told him it's kind of important to go to your house. Um, I'd like to see it if it's okay. And he kind of relented and said, okay, you know, come over. But he didn't want us to go in the bathroom. He didn't want us to go in the bathtub at all. I don't know what's in the bathtub. Um, There were certain areas he didn't want us to go. But, you know, it was actually once we got there, I was surprised at how open the family was. I mean, they had their, their marijuana plants out in the kitchen. We could take pictures of them. They were all lined up in the back. Um... His grandfather was just smoking weed. Um, his uncle's door was open. We'd walk by, and there were just bags of marijuana there. So I was actually surprised at how open they were about everything. Um, and it was just, I mean, really, I was shocked at kind of the environment that he lived in. You know, you had his his cousin was sleeping on the love seat, his grandfather on the couch, his uncle in one room, he was in the other room. Um you know, the kitchen was a complete wreck. They had a, a pit bull who was there, uh, who would just kind of lie around in the, in the weed plants outside. I mean, it was it was quite a scene. I, I don't think I'd ever seen anything quite like that. Yeah, I think I, I think even seeing that in the story, too, really, I, I think makes him a more sympathetic character because mm. you see him, you see what he's trying to escape, you know? And then you just yeah. feel horrible when you realize that he's not, he doesn't have the skills needed to, to escape, at least on the basketball court. Yeah, it really is. It's about trying to escape. I mean, he, he lives in this world that he just doesn't know how to get out of and he doesn't know what else to do. You know, he never graduated high school. He had a really hard uh, family life. His dad left him. You know, his his mom married somebody else. She's always in and out. He just doesn't know how else to do it. So he kind of has invented this life in his head of him being a great basketball player that's going to go to Rucker Park and take over the world. And, I mean, I I totally sympathized and I I understood. And it's about creating this identity and becoming, becoming somebody else and escaping this horrible environment. And you know, I became friends with him on the bus and I, I was really pulling for him too. And it was, I mean, it was hard because I knew, I knew he wasn't going to do well when he, when he got there. I, you know, I hoped maybe he could dunk it one time and everybody could get happy. You know, he could be happy for a little while, but I was really, it, I don't, you know, it was just hard to watch this unfold um, because I felt like when he realizes that maybe he's not the star basketball player, what is he going to do? You know, that's that's all he's really surviving on is this one dream. There, uh, I was going to ask you about the bus ride. Had you have you ever done anything like that before as a reporter? Um, no. Spending mm-hmm. seventy two hours on a bus going cross country. No, I mean it was funny because I told people I'm going to take a bus for three days. It's going to be so fun. You know, all the people I'm going to meet and all the stories I'm going to have. This is going to be great. 
and I was kind of, I was back in LA, uh, you know, I'd stopped playing. I, nothing was really going on back there. And um, I just decided to take the bus and I was going to move to New York on the bus. You know, I was going to, I packed up a bag and went up to Sacramento to meet this kid. And I was going to take the bus to New York with him and move with him. And um, so for me, it was, I mean, it's really a life changing experience because I, I don't think you really understand poverty in America until you see like traveling poverty. Um, I talked about this a little bit with Glenn, the editor over at SB Nation. And yeah, it's just, there's nothing like it. I mean, for, for TJ, this was just his life. You know, this wasn't like an adventure or, you know, he couldn't just hop on a plane. He had, he had all his, all of his life savings was in, coins in the bottom of his bag you know and he got a free ticket to take the greyhound this was this was everything you know and i met people on the bus and i met this 19 year old kid who killed somebody when he was 12 and you know he had to go see his parole officer in montana and this other woman who got divorced and her husband took all the kids i mean the stories and it, it was just unlike anything else and after a day i'd been on the bus and it was just it, it was no longer an adventure it was just this you know, I don't know. It's just this this experience, this life changing experience, and yeah, I mean, there's really nothing like it. I encourage everybody to do it at some point in their life. Take a bus for a day or two days, Greyhound, as far as you can, and just see what you see. So, so you were actually moving. You didn't go back to to California after after that trip. No, this was I was moving with TJ. I packed everything I needed put it under the bus and I was going to New York right along with him. So, um, yeah, it wasn't, I was following him for a story. Sure. But it was also, that was the way I was going to get to New York as well. So uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, I was going to, are, are you doing other stories off that bus trip? Do you think? What'd you say? Uh, do you, are you, do, do you think you'll be, that bus trip will, spawn other stories that you're going to write yeah may i think you know in the long term as i i'm as i kind of uh more and more the further i'm away from it more and more stories kind of have popped in my head about people i've met and things that have happened but i didn't really i mean i w didn't really take it thinking okay i'm gonna try and get as many stories as i can you just kind of dive into it and i mean you, you stop sleeping after a day or so and you're just kind of a zombie. You, you stop really thinking about it on those terms. You know, I would interview TJ here and there and hold up a microphone and try and get what I could. But, I mean, you know, after a while, we're just talking like buddies on a on a bus, talking about basketball or girls or, or you know, whatever comes up. Um, I mean, I stopped thinking like a reporter at a certain point um, because you're just – you don't really see it like that and it's hard to, it's hard to to disconnect from everybody else you're you're on the bus with everybody else i was moving going somewhere else with everybody else it was hard to think of myself as a as a reporter going for a story do you think that made a difference in the story ultimately yeah i do i definitely do and i think also i you know i really related to to tj i really felt for him um you know, he was just a guy trying to 
but just a kid, really. He's 24 years old. He's just a kid. He's just trying to find himself in the world, find his identity. And I, I mean, I, I related to that. I stopped playing basketball just like a year and a half before the story, about a year before the story. And the same thing, when I stopped, I really didn't know what to do with myself and kind of went through a period of depression and trying to, you know, this loss of identity. Who am I if I'm not playing basketball? So I kind of really related to him as, you know, really trying to find himself. What is he? Who is he in the world? What is he going to do? You know, how is he going to make a name for himself? And this is kind of what he clung on, you know, what he clung on to. Yeah, there's a there's a part in the story where you're on the bus. Um, well, at least scene-wise, we're on the bus. Uh, and you write, But in order to succeed, he must first completely open up his soul to the consequences of failure, knowing there may be no way back out. This, above all else, is the hardest thing to do. And I, I'm... I, I, for whatever that that sentence really struck me um, as poignant in the piece. Uh, can you talk mm. a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, when I first wrote that, I you know the initial draft I just wrote for myself. When I did that, I kind of talked a little bit about my experience playing basketball, and then I, I erased it because I didn't want it to be about me. But I, uh, yeah, I mean, I just playing sports in general. To, to succeed at anything, if you're always worried about failing at it, you know, there's always going to be something in the back of your head that's going to stop you. So you have to completely let go and you have to be okay with failure. You have to accept failure. You have to basically make friends with failure because it's going to be there, you know. So, and I, TJ was, the more I talked to him, he was inspiring. He just... He was going to go for it no matter what. No matter what happened, he was going to do it. And failure was staring him in the face. It was literally looking at him and maybe a little oblivious to it, but it was there. But, you know, to do anything big in sports, to succeed, to become a great player, you can't be scared of it. You can't be scared of failure at all. And then when I stopped playing, um, you know, I, I really – thinking back on my career and how everything went I think a lot of times you know you're you're trying not to fail rather than just accepting things as they are yeah I read that quote uh, or that 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 line and I thought that that really applies to writing and and doing any type of long form any type of big writing you know what I mean where mm -hmm. especially where you're part of the story too Totally. I think you could apply it to pretty pretty much anything, really. You could apply it to writing, being a doctor, anything you want. I mean, I think it's I think it's, you know, TJ especially, he was he was inspirational to me and I think a lot of people when they read that story, hopefully they saw him as an inspirational character too because it's it's a really it is a really 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 hard thing to do to just accept that it, this could go horribly wrong and I have to be okay with that. Have you uh, stayed in touch with TJ? Yeah, I have. We talk. We talk here and there. Um, he went back. We well, stayed in New York for a while afterwards, and then uh, he took the bus back to Sacramento, which I mean must have been really, really difficult for him. Um, 
And when he got to uh, Sacramento, we talked a, a little bit. He quit his job, so he was no longer a greyhound. Uh, honestly, I don't know what he's doing for work, for money. Uh, you know, I kind of assume he's in the family business selling weed, but I really, I really don't know. He won't tell me. Um, I know he went back to Mississippi at one point to see some family. He lived there uh, during high school, his high school years. But I think he's going to try and go to Rucker Park again next year as well. Will you kind of be paying attention to see how he does? Yeah, I'm going to check up on him. I don't think I'm going to take the bus with him ever again. <laughs> but uh, I'm definitely going to check up on him. Um, you know, it's if you spend three days on a bus with somebody, you kind of you become fond of them, you become friends. So I want him to do well. Um, but, I mean, like I said in the story, I'm not – I'm not sure how it's all going to play out, but he's, you know, he's he's a good kid. Well, I want to talk about your Chris Copeland story, but first I need to take a break. So uh, we'll be back with Flinder Boyd. This is Gangry the Podcast. Ashland University's Journalism and Digital Media Department is the only fully converged and integrated media program in Ohio. JDM majors apply converged skills in practical, hands-on labs using state-of-the-art hardware and software content creation tools. And they do it all alongside award-winning faculty who double as industry professionals. Recently chosen as Ohio's best non-daily student newspaper, the Collegian covers our campus and beyond. Ashland's 3,000-watt radio station, 88.9 WRDL, broadcasts local news, sports, talk, and today's best music to mid-Ohio and to the world on WRDLFM.com. Meanwhile, AUTV20 brings campus news, sports, and events to life in more than 12,000 homes. Ashland University's Journalism and Digital Media Department, creating converged digital media professionals for the 21st century. Find more information and apply today at ashland.edu slash jdm. Welcome back. This is Gangry the Podcast, and I'm Matt Tullis. I'm talking with Flinder Boyd, a former professional basketball player in Europe who is now writing long-form journalism. You wrote a piece about Chris Copeland, who is now with the Indiana Pacers, but was with the New York Knicks when you wrote about him back in April of last year. Uh, why did you want to write about Copeland? Why? Um, well, I, I, initially, how it started was I, I, uh, you know, I played, I played with him in Spain. Uh, when was this? Two thousand seven, I guess. So a while ago, and we talked. You know, every now and then, when we'd see each other, both on Skype, we'd say hi, how's it going? But I didn't really follow his career very closely. And then I was at home last summer. Uh, I guess the summer before, and I picked up the paper. I guess it was in the, the NBA preseason, so about October. I picked up the paper, and it said, uh, see Copeland, 32 points against the Celtics in the preseason. And I'm thinking, who is that? So I look up online, and it's my buddy, Chris Copeland. So I'm thinking, how, how in the world did this happen? How did he end up you know, in the NBA scoring 32 points? So, you know, I – just started tracking the story, called him, did a long interview, and was like, man, this is amazing. I've never even heard of anything like this. What um, did, you, did you follow him around then after a while or tell, like, talk about how you reported the story? No, I mean, with, with Chris, it was, uh, 
I just we did a about two three about three phone conversations. Um, he just kind of went back and told me the whole story. Told me how everything happened. Um, I went and called some of his coaches, um, some of some of his old friends and ex players, and there was just this one coach and. Belgium who was just so fascinating and I I uh didn't want to get off the phone when I was talking to him he was just such an interesting guy and the way he talked about basketball and it was such a his philosophy of everything um you know and then I decided I kind of needed to revolve the story around this this coach did uh how much did your it seems like the story benefited from a real knowledge of how basketball is played in Europe. And obviously that had to have, that, that comes from you directly. How much of a role did that play? Do you think in telling I think your it, knowledge? I think it played a big role for sure, because I, you know, I understand what he had to go through and how it all worked exactly. I mean, it's one thing just to say Chris Copeland was cut from the team. Um, but to really know how and why, you know, that is and how the teams function and how the fans function, you know, I definitely think it added a lot of depth to the story um, rather than just reporting it as is. And I knew Chris well, you know, before, you know, when he was just a, a young guy first starting out in Europe, not knowing what was going on. So I think, yeah, I think that I added a whole dimension to it just knowing him and, and playing before. Did did doing that story make you second guess your own decision to retire? Uh no, it didn't second guess my own own decision to retire. I didn't I at all, but uh I made me think maybe I, I could have been a better player. I mean I, it's funny, all the stories I've read the T J story, this story, it kind of I think back on my career and I often I think, man, I, I could have been a lot better if I just had a different you know, mental approach. Um, you know, when I talk to this this coach in uh, Belgium, or talking to Chris, or even even TJ, just the way he thinks about things, I, I always think, man, I I could have been a lot better if I just approached things differently. Has there? Um, how how long have you been writing for? Uh, well, writing like for um outlets and stuff just about it uh, a little over a year year and a half but i started uh writing a blog when i was playing overseas probably i started when i was about 29 and i'm 33 now so four years it's not too long it's funny i mean the first time it happened i was playing for a team in england and i never thought about writing before i mean my mom's a great writer but I, she uh you know so i was around it but i just never thought about writing and they asked me to write a blog for their website. And I thought, come on, I don't want to do this. So I s sat down, I started to type something up, and I ended up writing this huge, long meditation about, you know, how luck comes into play in sports and all these examples. And it was about 2,500 words, and they got it, and they were like, what is this? We just wanted 200 words on the last game. So after that, I was, like, hooked, and I started a blog and started writing all the time, and I loved it. Uh Considering, I mean, you're relatively new, especially to like publishing and long form uh, type publications like SB Nation. Were you surprised at the acclaim that the Rucker Park story got? Um, yeah, I, I was really surprised. Um, 
I mean, I also didn't have a lot of expectations because I haven't been doing it long. So, you know, I, I didn't really know what to expect doing it. Um, but yeah, but I was really surprised. I mean, the people who I, who I love reading, uh, who wrote really nice things about it kind of blew my mind. I mean, I never, I never expected that. And, um, you know, just these kind of end of the year lists and stuff. I never expected that at all. Um, I mean, I'll be fortunate also to, to work with Glenn Stout at SB Nation, who's really, who kind of, uh, you know, he edited the story, but he also kind of, you know, he, he helped me become a better writer. He gave me examples of, of good writers and stuff they've done and really talked me through some things. So, I mean, I think that helped me a lot over these last three or four stories I've done with him. Yeah, I'm definitely biased in favor of Glenn Stout. Um, he edited the two pieces I've written for SB Nation. And I don't know, it's amazing how much better a story is when you have an editor who's equally invested in the story as much as the reporter. Totally. And I, I totally, I, and I, I agree, but I, you know, I told Glenn, I hate to just always bring things back to sports and basketball, but I guess we're, we're talking about sports writing, but, um, he's like, you know, there's good coaches who tell you what to do and you have to do it and that's it. And they can be successful coaches. And then there's good coaches who kind of, they give you a kind of this boundary to work within and they tell you how things should be, but it's up to you to do it and what things you should work on. And those are the best coaches to work for, to play for because you become a better player. And Glenn is like that. He's like, he's like one of those editors who's a great coach who kind of gives you these boundaries to work within and helps you become a better writer at the same time. So uh, where do you go from here in terms of writing? You working on stuff right now? Um, keep writing about basketball? Uh, are you going to write about other stuff? Can you talk yeah, a little bit about what you're doing? I, yeah, I'd really like to write about other stuff. I mean, um, I like writing about basketball. Just I feel like I, I know a lot about it, so I really love writing about it. But I'd like to branch out into other stuff. Um, talk to like a couple other outlets about doing some some stuff here and there for them i'm not really sure what else i want to write i really want to do some world cup stuff because i love soccer I, I actually probably watch more soccer these days than basketball so i'd love to do some thinking about some stories to do for the world cup um well if you go but, to the world cup you're going to be fighting against wright thompson and chris jones who are both <laughs> going to be there writing for espn <laughs> I'll, I'll pick up their crumbs. That's yeah, fine. Yeah, just with follow me. them around. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine with me. Oh yeah, exactly. I'll follow them around and hold their bags. Do do whatever it takes. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, Flender, thanks so much for joining the podcast. It's been really great talking with you, and good luck uh, in future stories. And we look forward to reading them. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Matt. We've been talking with Flinder Boyd, who has written the stories 20 Minutes at Rucker Park and The Re-Education of Chris Copeland for SB Nation Longform. You can read these stories and more of Boyd's work at www.gangrythepodcast.com. Stay up to date with the podcast by following us on Twitter, at gangrypodcast. That's at G-A-N-G-R-E-Y-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. You can download Gangry the Podcast on iTunes for free. Just go to the iTunes store and search Gangry. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y. Gangry the Podcast is now available on Stitcher Radio On Demand. Stitcher is an award-winning free mobile app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows on demand. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the app stores. 
Gangry the Podcast is produced in the studios of WRDL 88.9 at Ashland University and is supported by the Department of Journalism and Digital Media. Our intro music comes from Noah Heyman. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by yours truly. I'm Matt Tullis. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.